And so we're very, very excited to bring him in. He's coming in this evening to speak with a, a, a professional group of businessmen and women called the Goddess, and they helped us uh, to bring Nick um, along, so we're very grateful to them as well. And uh, I will leave it at that. So let's pray, and then I'll give the mic over. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Gracious Father, we are thankful to be together uh, just as brothers and sisters, and we pray that this would be a time of true uh, communion. We're grateful for this day. We thank you for keeping our juniors safe as they finish their ACTs. We pray, Lord, that you keep them safe this afternoon. Uh, we keep them in our prayers. We ask you, Jesus, uh, just to enter into this place and send your spirit to be in our hearts. Just pray, Lord, that you would uh, just bring a word of inspiration for us this afternoon. Help us to know what a life uh, worth living is all about. Help us to just be fully alive. And just help us to be inspired this day. I uh, ask you to anoint uh, Nick's message. Protect him with your holy angels. And we offer this last hour to you the day through the hands of our Blessed Mother, and together we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mr. Nick Davidson. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Um, I've got my phone with me up here, and I'm going to look at the phone, but, but I'm not texting. I'm not te I promise I'm not texting. I just need my notes here. So I've got, I've got that there. In case you wonder what I'm doing, I've just got that there. So um, my name's Nick, and I'm not from here, you can tell. Um, that actually, probably tell by the way I talk. I come from a long way away, across the water. It's called Minnesota. Have you heard of Minnesota? You're from Duluth, Minnesota. Has anyone ever been to Duluth? A couple of people? Any, any kids? Been? No? It's okay. It's a frozen wasteland. It's like, oh yeah. Wait, is somebody from Duluth? No, that's good. It's better that way. Um, but I, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I travel all over and I speak. And I learned a long time ago, a couple, uh, three years ago, that if you walk up in front of a group of people that you don't know, like you guys, and I step in front of you, you have no clue who I am, and I start speaking to you, you, you most people, like people in the front row, they always, they chose it usually, so they check in. But people in the back row are usually texting and going to sleep already or doing drugs or whatever people do. And so, and so, well, I found, no matter where I go, if I step in front of people and they don't know me, but I have an accent, everyone goes, oh, he's foreign, oh my gosh. And for some reason, you listen to somebody who's got an accent. So I. I don't have this accent, this is not my accent, um, but I found that it works. And I'm also an idiot. And so I was speaking um, at a Catholic high school in, in southern Minnesota um, three years ago, Sleepy Eye, Minnesota. And I'm just like this, I'm in front of them, and I, I usually do 60 seconds of an accent of some kind at the beginning. And then I just, you know, drop it and then I go and my talk. But because I'm a moron, I just forgot to stop the accent. And I got about 25 minutes in to this thing. I'm talking about the Lord and the Catholic Church and Jesus loves you. And in the middle of it all, just in my head, I just, no, you stupid moron. You're lying to the children right now. And so and I didn't know what to do because you're stuck in the moment and I'm trying to speak and tell the truth and I'm lying with my mouth. 
And so I decided what I'll do is I'm just going to pick a sentence somewhere in the midst of it and I'm just going to phase into a Minnesotan accent. And, and so I did. I, you know, I ran up I'm talking about the Lord and the church and the sacraments. And at some point, I just chose a sentence. And in the middle of the sentence, I slowly just kind of faded into the Minnesota accents. And I just kept going. And for like 30 seconds, I had them. No one had any clue. And in my head, I'm like, yes, I win. I own this day. And then, like a wave, I saw like every face in the room just go from like this to this. Every eyebrow crunch and every head, they're like, is he, am I having a stroke? Is, is he having a stroke? Someone's having a stroke right now. And then I saw all the grown-ups who had hired me to come and they're over in the corner going, what did we do? This is horrible. And so then I just had to stop and be like, I, I'm so dumb. I'm so sorry. And then try to go on from there. So it has gotten me into trouble doing accents. But the, one of the accents brought me one of my favorite moments of my life. Because I was speaking way up in northern Minnesota on a Wednesday night at a youth group. And I got done with the youth group, and I had about an hour's drive to get home to my house. And so I stopped at this McDonald's, and it's 10 at night. And I pulled up to the drive-thru, and um, this kid, wait, does anybody work at McDonald's? Because we're going to make fun of those people. No? Okay, we're good. So I pulled up to the drive if you do, don't acknowledge it. So I pulled up to the drive-thru, and there was this high school kid working the drive-thru at 10 p.m. And he was just bored with life and bored with the fact that he had to be working in northern Minnesota at a McDonald's drive-thru at 10 at night. And so to pass the time, he was doing a really bad Russian accent. And so I pulled up, I didn't know what's going on, I pulled up and he came on the microphone and he said, hello, welcome to McDonald's, how may I help you? And like without skipping a beat, I said, oh yes, hello, I would like a burger please, and uh, some french fries and a coffee. Then there was this long pause <laughs> where I just know he was inside going, no, no. And I was in my car just dying, laughing, just waiting. And it took forever. And he came back on and he had dropped the accent. He came back and he was like, can I get you anything else? And so I said, no, that'd be fine. Thank you. <laughs> and then there was a longer pause. And I know it's like, what is going on? And so when he finally came back on the mic, he had such guts because he had picked the accent up again. And he gets back on and he's like, that will be $4, please pull ahead. And I said, oh yes, my friend, I have $4, I will pull ahead. It will be good to meet you, my friend. And I pulled around to the window and he never came. <laughs> Some woman came to the window and so for 30 minutes in my car, I just died laughing. Because I know for a fact, that kid was like hiding in the freezer scared that like some Russian mobster had gotten offended and so it is my dream and I can't do it I know this because I'm a grown-up and I have children but it's my fantasy is once a month to drive up to northern Minnesota when he's working and like when he's like hi welcome to McDonald's I'll be like I know where you live and then drive away <laughs> hi what can I get you I have seen your family sleeping <laughs> just drive off. Oh, I want you so bad but my name is Nick Davidson, and I, I do. I come from Minnesota, northern Minnesota, um, and I travel around and speak at uh, predominantly Catholic events right now. I, I want to say thank you guys for letting me come today. Not that you had a choice, this mandatory assembly that you're at, but I like to thank the authorities for letting me come in. Um, I did not grow up Catholic, so I don't know if everybody in here is Catholic. You attend a school, but that doesn't mean you're, you know, that you have grown up Catholic. I didn't grow up Catholic. I grew up very anti-Catholic. I didn't know anything about Catholics or the church. I just knew that I believed that they weren't Christians and that they, you know, I didn't know what, what it was like. Um, and so I went through, I went to a Bible college in Minneapolis. I went through a huge atheistic stage when I was in school where I disbelieved 
everything, and that's a whole different talk. But um, I got married in 2001, and my wife and I, we had come to this crisis of faith where I was, I was like questioning everything in the Bible and questioning, well, why did God leave it so ambiguous? Why, do I, why don't we have answers to things? And um, I was really questioning, and my wife and I had decided we'll do our normal church on Sunday, and then we'll just supplement. We'll go to other different churches. And so we tried a Greek Orthodox church. We tried a Messianic Jewish synagogue. And then one day we went to the, what, my wife saw a poster at her school for a night mass. And I was 28 years old. So a lot, so a lot of you guys are cradle Catholics. Like you were, raise your hand if you were born Catholic. Okay, so do you guys, a lot of you guys are probably from those like fervent, like we're staunch, like I was born at mass. My mom had me at mass. They just, they cut the cord and the priest is like, just keep going because that's, they have 30 kids anyway. Like I walked into mass for the first time when I was 28 years old and I didn't know what to expect. We had no clue. I always joke that like, do you have to bring your own goat to sacrifice or do they give you a goat at the door? Is there like a pen of goats? Like I had no clue what it would be like. And like, so we walked in and it was well lit and they were singing in English and that was cool. And so we sat down at our first mass ever and the priest comes in and I don't know exactly what I expected the priest to be, but at somewhere around like 147 years old, like on a motorized cart, just <laughs> And like a little ramp up onto the altar, he'd ram it up there. And I had no clue what, what a Catholic priest would look like. And this young guy walks in on his own two feet, which was cool. Now, Father, where is Father? Father, if you have a, a motorized cart, that's fine. I'm not, that's, you can be old. But this guy was this young, he just bursts in and like, he's preaching and I'm like, wow, this guy seems like he's heard of Jesus before and that he loves him. And so like, and he was talking about the band U2. And I'm like, oh, they let priests listen to music? I didn't, I didn't know that. Like every priest playlist would just be chant upon chant upon chant. And so like everything that I thought it would be, it wasn't. And I know for you it's different because if you've gone to mass your whole life, it's just, it can seem utterly boring. But for me, it was this whole different world that I didn't know existed. So afterwards, I asked the priest, you know, would you ever meet for coffee and just answer some questions? So we met every week from 10 to midnight for five months. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Father Mike Schmitz. Do you know who Father Mike Schmitz is? Some of you guys would know who he is. He does a lot of videos and stuff. That's the first priest I ever met was Father Mike. And so for five months, we asked every question we had of the church. Now, I don't know how you've grown up. I don't know if you felt like you're allowed to ask questions of the church. I want to be one person to encourage you. Like the doctors of the church are the ones who didn't settle for small answers. They just questioned the heck out of it. So if you have questions, if, you, if, you're, if you're tempted to disbelieve in God, if, you, if you're tempted and say, like, ah, I don't know if any of this is real, search. Don't be a wimp about it. Ask questions. Don't ask questions like a little kid. I don't know if you've ever seen a little kid when they ask, I have, I have four children and like, they'll be like, it's time to go to bed. And my seven year old will be like, why? I'm like, well, cause it's because we got done eating. Why? Well, because that was dinner time. Why? I'm like, shut up. Like, I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad dad. But don't, don't ask the church like this, like, cause that's awkward anyway. But like, don't, don't approach with an attitude, but ask questions. Cause every question I had, like I studied theology as a Protestant. And every question I ever had as a Protestant, the church answered calmly, quietly over this five month period. And so as a Protestant, I found that I was wrong about everything about the church. I was like, I, I didn't know what sacraments were. I didn't know any of like, the things that we believe as Catholics. I didn't know them. But it found out that I was right about one thing because always, I always had the impression that Catholics, they would do mass and they, they know all the, the things you have to do on Sunday. They, the, all the cardio that every Catholic has to do before you're allowed to sit down. There's, there's water, there's so much, so much. 
And I, I realized that you guys knew those, but what I found was a lot of Catholics, a large amount of Catholics, a large amount of you in this room, but a large amount of your parents have no clue of one thing. They, they know the sacraments and they know what you have to do to stay in line and to keep God off your back. But if, I found in general, you find a lot of Catholics who don't know God. They just don't know him. They don't know that you're supposed to have a relationship. They know about him, but they don't actually know that there's more. Um, I don't know, there's a whole other reality. If you're a little kid, a lot of times it's boys, but it's not always just boys. You can play war when you're a kid. You have a, you know, a stick or even just the finger gun. Like every boy is born coming out of the womb going Because you just, it's just what you learn to do. Okay, so you grow up and you're playing war as a kid. You're playing war. And uh, sometimes girls and guys will play house. You ever play house? I used to watch my sister. Like, she would pretend to vacuum. And I'm like, what are you doing, you moron? They're going to make us do that in a couple of years. Why are you, and she, I don't know, you got an easy bake oven? What? Like, just dumb stuff. Not dumb, sorry, that's not nice. But stuff that I didn't understand. But you play house and you play war. But everyone in here, you guys know, when you play war, there's a, there's a huge, like a, like a universe of difference between playing war and going to war. It's not even the same reality. It's something else completely. Or playing house and actually getting a job and getting a mortgage and owning a house. A, they're not even similar. One is very childish and one is not. Well, I don't know if you know this. <laughs> if you were born Catholic, you learned how to play church, as Catholics especially. You, there are so many things you have to play at. There, from the minute you arrive in the parking lot, the parents are just like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Like, there's, there's, there's not just water. You have to kneel, but you can't just kneel on one knee. And you guys try to do the thing where you go into the pew and, like, you slide in to the pew instead of having to genuflect because we're lazy. Like, you, have, you learn, okay, no, I have to go all the way down. Or my dad smacks me in the head. And when I'm sitting in the pew, I have to do this. And I have to, there's all these things. I have so many arm motions that I have to do. And you learn them all at a very young age. I have a seven-year-old son who is possessed by so many demons. And he, at me, I was gonna say not really, but he might be, I don't know. But he, he's adopted, he has a fro, and we grow that to cover the horns, because he's terrifying. So anyway, every mass, if you come to mass with me, I was telling Stephen earlier, every mass, I have him in a headlock for the entire mass, because he's nuts, and he will crawl under the pews, and he will rob old ladies blind. He will just take things that are not his. So I have to hold him in place all through Mass. But he is learning what to do, how to play church. And I don't know if you know this, but you don't, as a Catholic, you don't actually ever have to stop playing. Some of us, our parents, never stopped playing church. You get older, you stop playing war. A grown man running with a stick going, <laughs> like, it doesn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Or like if you came home from school and your mom had cooked dinner on like an easy bake oven, like here's your half a cookie, like it just wouldn't happen. But for some reason, as Catholics, we can grow up and you never have to stop playing church because it's always gonna be the same motions every Sunday for your whole life. Every Sunday you'll go to mass, there'll be the same little thing of water, you dip and you dab and then you go to your pew and you have everything that you have to do and it's never gonna change. For some of your parents, it has never changed. For some of your grandparents and aunts and uncles, it has never changed. And I became a Catholic, I started looking around, and I'm like, why, why would you do any of these motions if it didn't mean something to you? And what, what, what is sad is that most people don't realize that there's a completely other different reality to why you would go to Mass, why you would be a Catholic. 
Like, like between war and playing war and real war. That difference of a reality. There's a whole world waiting, a whole life of happiness and like bliss waiting for somebody who gets past that beginning. But so many Catholics don't know. And so what happens is you end up like my dad. My dad's a great guy. Um, my dad begins every sentence by going, it's because he dealt a lot of pot when I was younger. And so like, <laughs> he doesn't know I'm saying it. He has no clue, but he did. So he smoked a lot of weed. And so my dad, every, if I called him on the phone right now, he'd be like, hello. Like, hey, Dad, how are you? I'm fine. He sounds like a kind of a depressed cow to me. So my dad and I, growing up, we didn't have a good relationship, but my dad and I have a good relationship now. And when I, when I was leaving, I was moving out of the country to move to the Caribbean for three years. We lived on a little island called Dominica. And when I was moving away, I went to breakfast with my dad to say goodbye. My dad is a roofer, a carpenter. He does siding. And so we met at 6 a.m. on this sunny Saturday. He had to go to work, so we met really early. We eat breakfast together, and it's great. And we're walking out to the parking lot to our cars, and I do this really stupid thing. Um, some of you guys probably do it. You don't have to admit it. But like, I have always, I remember the last thing somebody says to me, um, their last words, just in case like while we're apart that they die. Then at their funeral, I can be like, their last words were to me. Like that sort of stupid thing. And so I'm walking out, and I'm waiting to hear my dad's last words. And so we get in the, get in the car, and um, I, I look over, and he's got his window down. He's like, I roll your window down. So I roll my window down, and he looks over, and he just, across the cars, he just says, I love you, bud. And in my head, I'm like, yes, that is, that's his last words. And if he dies today at the funeral, I can be like, he was talking, he loved me most, basically, is what I could say. But my dad, because he's my dad, he just ruins things. And so like, my, that wasn't the end of the sentence. There was no period there. It was, it was not even a comma. My dad, what he actually said was, I love you, bud. Today's gonna suck! And then he floored it out of the parking lot. Like his foot on the pedal, he tore, he kicked dirt up and drove away. And in my car, I was like, no! You idiot! And then I realized if he did die that day, he was right. Today did suck for him. And then I still had something cool to say at the funeral. So I went both ways. But I realized my dad, it was 6 a.m. And my dad was approaching his day with that. Today's going to suck. And when you don't know that there's a whole other world to living the Catholic life, Sunday morning feels like that. Oh, today's going to suck. I, could you, why? If God loved me, he wouldn't make me get up in the morning. He wouldn't make me get up so early on a Sunday and drag me to this boring thing. If you don't know that there's another reality, you end up like this kid I knew named Steven when I worked in Florida. I worked at a boys and girls club. He'd come in, at, so in Southern Florida, I don't know if you've ever been there, but they have a very thick Southern accent. They all talk like this. And after school, Steven Cooper would come in. He was this 15-year-old kid. He ended up in jail. He would come in. He would come in every day after school and grab his backpack, and he would come into the room, and he would do this full arc and throw his backpack down. And he always had something angry to say because he just had a horrible outlook. And one day he walked in, and I was like, Steven's here. And he said, came in, and he threw his bag down, and he said, I hate today. When I go home, I'm going to punch a cow in the face. <laughs> and like when he said it, I was like, yes. We, I have wanted to punch a cow. Like there, everyone has had days where you just, if I could find a cow, I would just punch him in the face. Because it wouldn't hurt him. They have that big flat front. And so that became, my, in my wife and I's vocabulary, she will text me, I hate today. And I'll be like, punch a cow, baby. Anyway, Stephen, Stephen was approaching his day like that. I hate today. 
And if you don't know that there's way more than just motions to the Catholic life, you end up thinking today is going to suck. You end up thinking, I hate today. I want to punch a cow in the face. So the question is, though, what would that other reality be? Because if you're like me, I grew up guilty all the time. I grew up thinking I can't do anything right. God's always disappointed in me. He's just waiting like with a lightning bolt to send me to hell. That's how I grew up. Because I, I have a messed up family. I have a messed up, like I just, I messed a lot of stuff up in high school. I, you know, I knew what God expected of me and he had this high standard and you should be a saint. And then all I could do was mess life up. Every relationship, everyone I ever dated, I messed everything up. I couldn't, because I'm, I'm kind of a bumbling fool. Like I'm just bouncing through life, doing the best I can. And I got to the point where I thought, well, you know what? Maybe God made me just like to march in step, just to like do the right thing. And if you're honest, I'll bet there are days you feel that way. Like, why did you make me? What did, why? What for? Just so I just do the right thing? Did you, you were up in heaven and made a creature so that it would just do the right thing? You kind of get excited when they do the wrong thing so you can send them to hell? That's how I started to feel about God. I got really bitter towards God. And that's what I thought life boiled down to. Just do the right thing. Just march in step. Just be in God's army. Do what he says. And so then you start to run from God because who wants that? That's not love. That's not, that's not happiness. Just do what you're told. That's nothing. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a football player. Uh, his name is Tom Brady. Have you heard of him before? I don't know if you know him. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm not saying I like him. Just have you heard of him? Okay, so Tom Brady, there's an interview with him on 60 Minutes. It's like in 2008. You saw on YouTube. It's like a minute and a half long. At the time, he had three Super Bowl rings. And the interviewer says, Tom, you've done pretty well for yourself. You know, you got a $60 million contract, three Super Bowl rings. That's got to be pretty amazing, right? And Tom Brady says, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I keep asking myself, am I just here to win Super Bowl rings? And the, there's a pause. And he says, no, I'm serious. He says, I think, I keep asking myself, God, there's got to be more out there for me than this. And the interviewer, because it was definitely not going the way he thought it would, the interviewer just kind of says, well, Tom, what's the answer? And without skipping a beat, Tom Brady says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. And they're like, cut. And that's the end of the interview. Because what do you do with that? He has, if I gave every one of you $60 million, you would, you would think inside, I'm set. But here's somebody who has it, and he's like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more for me than this. And if you're not here to just march in God's army, and if having things doesn't make us happy, what the heck are you here for? And I had gotten to the point in my life where that's what I asked. Like, what are you doing, God? Why? I'm making a mess of everything I touch. Why did you put me here? And so here's the thing. Um, if you weren't made to march in step, then what were you made for? Back at the very beginning of scripture, why does God make humans? You get a glimpse. There's nothing. God creates the stage. He sets the trees and the water and light and all that stuff. And then he creates humanity. And then we get this little sentence. We, get, we actually get in the first moments of the Bible why you're here. Because you may not have asked yourself yet, but it will, come t it will come soon. You will start asking yourself, what am I doing here? What am I doing with my life? And I'm not talking like a job. Like, why am I breathing still? You know, there's a high suicide rate in America. In the last year, two, in the last year and a half, two musicians who impacted my life have both hung themselves. These are millionaires with great families, everything they ever wanted. They're getting paid to do what they love and they end their lives. Because they ask the question, what am I doing here? And they don't come up with an answer. So if you're not here to march in step, 
And you're not here to accumulate. What are you here for? We get it in the first moments of scripture. And so there's like this. If you've ever dated, a lot of you are dating. When you start dating, have you ever walked down the hallway and you've seen somebody and you're like, ha, 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 like that person? Like you're walking and she comes out and you're like, ha, like that. That's how I, that's how I responded when I was younger, really poorly. That's why I didn't get a lot of people to date me. So what happens is you, when you get to go on your first date and you start to really like somebody, you start to want to do something with this person that I've never understood. And it's not that, what you're thinking. And you're like, oh, it's going to be a sex talk. Oh, crap. No, 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 it's too soon. No, no, it's not that one, because I get that one. No, no, this, this happens everywhere. And it will happen to you. You're going to find somebody who will actually go on a date with you. And then you'll start to hang out. And at some point, you'll be like, she'll be like, what do you want to do? And you're like, oh, uh, I don't care. Or you, you'll, you'll be like, what do you want to do? She's like, I don't care. Well, what do you want to do? I don't, I don't care. Well, yeah, I'll do anything. And here's what will happen. You will start to do the dumbest thing that I can think of. You'll start to go on walks. I despise walking. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I like you. Let's go exercise. Stupid, stupid, stupid. And you'll, you'll say, I will walk through rain and sleet. I'll go through the wind and the rain and the snow. Why? There are roofs everywhere. Go under a roof for Pete's sake. But no, this is what happened. You start to walk. My wife and I would walk for hours. Our first date, we went to a movie and then we went to this Bible college. You had curfew. We were out past curfew, so we got locked out. We walked the streets of Minneapolis all night, just talking in love. I couldn't get my wife to walk downstairs for me now. But then there's something about it. So here's the thing. If you look at the first moments of scripture, God makes humanity. And the scripture says that he would walk with them in the cool of the day. That's it. I, he made humans, and then he would walk with them. And it doesn't say he would check in. Be like, we just got to do a checkup. Did you do the list of things that I gave you? No, go to hell. Like, that's, that's not what God does. No, in the scriptures, that's what you get. You get this idea of being in love. That in the cool of the day, when it's just this pristine time, birds are chirping, everything's getting nice, and you're walking, God wants to walk with you. And I don't know if you've ever been told this, but nobody told me this. Boys and girls, men and women, you were only made for one primary reason. You were never, God did not make you so that you would do anything. He didn't make you so that you'd get a good job, so that you'd find a good spouse, so that you'd please him. He made you just to love you. That's it. God made you so that he could be with you. Where I come from, hockey is God. Hockey is everything in northern Minnesota. And you'll see people like, no, I'll choose hockey over God every time. And I try to tell people, God doesn't want you to give up that thing you love. He wants you to take him with you when you do it. Play hockey. Maybe you want to be an actor. I went to school for acting. Maybe you want to be an actor. Maybe you want to do music. Maybe there's a trade that you love. Maybe the one thing that you love, we think that God puts it in us, and then when we get old enough, he takes it away. The things that you love, God made them. He made you. You're not an accident. You're not here just because, like he wasn't looking down at us and going, oh, where'd Nick come from? Holy crap, well, we'll have to see how this plays out because he's kind of an idiot. That's not how God works. He made you. Exactly, like the things that you love, like the hobbies, the things that energize you, he made those. But we don't trust him with them. That's the problem. We don't trust him. And all he made us for was a relationship, and we don't trust him. 
Partly because we look at earthly relationships and we're like, well, I don't want that. Like the, the relationships I saw in my, my parents, my aunts and uncles, my grandparents, it's horrible. If that's what God wants, I don't want that. I have a great relationship with my wife, but she's a lunatic. She's a psychopath. She's a crazy person. She says the weirdest stuff in the mornings. I, I wake her up because she will sleep through the end of the world. Like if the world burns, she'll be like, like that the whole time. So every morning of our marriage, I have woken my wife up. I, I, same thing every morning. I shake her shoulder and I say, baby, it's time to get up. Every morning. And years ago, she started saying the weirdest junk. It started really benign. Like I, the first time it happened, I shook her shoulder. I said, baby, it's time to get up. And she said, thing, of, uh, thing is, I'm a yogurt person and we need more sleep. <laughs> and I remember stopping and I was like, I can't argue with that logic. All right. And, uh, and a, a couple weeks later, and this is, none of this is a lie. I have a document called Things My Wife Said Upon Waking. I shook her shoulder. I said, baby, it's time to get up. And she rolled over and said, the thing about spatulas is you need them. And then she went back to sleep. A couple of years ago, I said, baby, it's time to get up. And she said, wait, you're going to get me a cardboard brontosaurus and I'm going to ride it to the bathroom. And then she went back to sleep. Last spring, she went Vietnam on me. I shook her. I said, baby, it's time to get up. And she said, ain't happening, man. I said, well, you got to go to work. She said, no way in hell. But the... This most terrifying moment of my whole life. No lie, the scariest moment of my life. I shook her shoulder. I said, baby, it's time to get up. And she rolled over and looked into my soul. And she said, all hatred will be spread through you. <laughs> and then she went back to sleep. And the hairs on my neck stood up. And I felt like an oracle had spoken a prophecy over me. And I walked out backwards because in a way I'm turning my back on that. All hatred will be spread through you. So if that's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you, that's not true. That's not what he wants. But he does want to have a relationship with you. He wants to be with you when, you when you do the thing you love. He wants to be there with you. Just like my wife and I. She's a doctor. And she's went through everything to be a doctor and that's great. But if I get home tomorrow and she's like, actually, I want to work at DQ. I'll be like, I mean, first I'll be like, why? why but also okay as long as I can be with you and you know that feeling you you get you've all felt it like you meet somebody and you just want to be with them guys please know to the day you die God just wants to be with you he doesn't want you to take the thing you love and bash it to pieces and oh if, if I serve God or have a relationship I just have to pray 24 hours a day oh I just I guess I have to take the thing I love most and get rid of it that's not what he wants to do. He wants to have a relationship with you. He made you to be with him. You see it in the sacraments. The sacraments are these physical things to bring you close. In baptism, you're baptized into God's family. We, when we adopted our kids, they came from a horrible situation. On this little village in the Caribbean, up in the mountains, no food, no water, malnourished, physically abused. And the day that I walked in, I remember the day, I walked in and my, my, my now son was sitting there in the corner eating a piece of stale bread, just kind of hovering because the guy who had spent the night with his mom had abused them, had hit them. My daughter has a scar that runs from her eye and they would never tell us how it happened. They had a horrible life. And there was a, certain, a given day, I got to walk into the shack 
and grab his hand and say, are you ready, bud? And we turned our backs on it and we walked into a new life. And he never once had to be afraid again. And he never once had to feel he was unloved again. That was your baptism. We talk about sacraments, it sounds so cold. The day you were baptized, you were adopted in and taken into God's arms just to be with him into a whole new life. Think about the Eucharist. You can't get any more intimate than physically being with somebody. Think about confession. You go in and you dump all of the junk that you've done. And what do you hear? Hey, good job. Like, what? It is only relationship that God wants with you. That's it. That's all he will ever want. Well, I need to pray more. You don't need to pray more. He just wants to be with you. Well, I need to be a saint. You need to be close to God because he's the one you're looking for. Until the day you die, that's it. When you start to feel like, oh gosh, I, mass and Catholicism and all this stuff we're learning, it's so heavy, I don't know. He just wants to walk with you through your life. He just wants to be with you. And so all I can say is this. I have, I have about eight minutes. I am going to stop, I promise, Father. Okay. I'm not going to stop. We're going to go for like three hours. I'm just joking, I promise. Because you're like, I hate you now. <laughs> it was going okay until you said that. Now I want to cut your brake line. <laughs> anyway, um, in Minnesota, if you make a brake line joke, everyone laughs. That's the weirdest thing. Minnesota's like, yeah, kill them. I don't know what it is. <laughs> it doesn't work anywhere else but Minnesota. But if, if, if that sounds interesting to you, if maybe you've not heard that before, that all God wants is a relationship with you, please, maybe make it, and you don't have to, I'm not going to ask you to stand up and look all holy and pious, just internally in your heart, please, make a decision to give that a chance. When you get to Mass and you're just exhausted and you're trying to stay awake the whole Mass, and I know that, I fall asleep at every Mass I've ever gone to since I became Catholic. When I go to Mass tonight at Legatus, I will fall asleep for a little bit. I can't stop it. Mass is kind of boring on the outside. And that's fine. But when you go to Mass and you start to feel tired or you start to feel that you're checked out, you start to feel like God, oh man, God would love me more if I was more in tune to Mass. No, He wouldn't. God can't love you more than He does. He just loves you already. Would it be better for you if you acknowledged it and drew close to Him? Yeah, but He's not mad at you. He's not going to push you away. If you walk out today and never go to a church again, his feelings about you don't change. He will always be longing to be close to you. And if you come back at 90 years old and you've squandered your life and you walk in the doors of a church and you're like, I'm sorry, I miss you, I want to come home. It will be as if it will be a flash and you're in. He just wants you close. He just wants to be with you. Don't, you don't have to look churchy. You don't have to act a certain way. You don't have to be awesome. You just be you, because that's who God loves. And you approach him and say, if, if you love me, I'm in. That's it. You don't need to know anything else. And life will throw you curveballs, definitely. Life will, you don't know what's coming in life. But all you need to do is just be willing to step closer to him. And I'll, I'll close with this. I, um, I was driving in Wisconsin to this to speaking engagement one night on this interstate. There were three lanes and three lanes. So it was big, there's semi-trucks, it's this huge corridor. And I'm driving along, Three lanes of traffic were flying along at 70 miles an hour and I didn't see the accident happen but I saw the half second after it happened so I didn't see the cars hit but I saw them go flying and I saw bumpers and squeals cars were swerving and I swerved around and then I, I pulled over to the side I put my flashes on and I don't know what I have no formal training of any kind like I talk that's all I do for a living I shouldn't be at an accident scene I've probably caused a lot of accident scenes if I'm honest but something came over me 
So I pulled over to the side and I got out of the car and I just started running towards the car accident. And I walked up to the first car and it was crumpled in and um, the horn was blaring and the engine was revving and there was smoke. It was just like a movie. And I walked up and even my voice changed. I was like, ma'am, are you okay? It was the weirdest thing. And she's like, yeah, I'm okay, I just can't get out. And while we were talking, another guy had come up. And so I'm like, sir, take care of her. And then I, I, I don't know why I did this. I took my iPhone flashlight, because it was dark, it was nighttime, and I turned around and I just started running into traffic with my light. And I remember going like, this is how my mom thought I would die. <laughs> just playing in traffic again, you idiot. And I'm waving this light and this craziest thing happens. Like cars start to slow down. And I'm waving and, and then they start pulling off to the side because I'm waving and then I'm getting cocky and I'm like, yeah, you better do yeah. <laughs> And I'm waving him off to the side. And while I'm doing that, this guy pulls up and he's like, hey, do you need a vest? And I thought he meant because it was cold. And I'm like, no, I don't need, oh, like a reflective, yeah, I'd like a vest. So he gives me a reflective vest. So now I glow in the dark. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I got my little flashlight. And during that time, a highway patrolman had pulled up. And he walked up and he's like, uh, you know, is that light all you have? And I said, yes, it is. And he said, not anymore. And he gave me his mag light. Have you, it has the glory of God inside of a flashlight. So I glow and I have a lightsaber. And I just, whoa, whoa, I own you. And I was waving and none of this is a lie. I'm waving and blocking traffic and I'm kicking like stuff out of the way. And I, another highway patrolman came up and he said, do you know how to use flares? And I said, no, I don't. He said, you do now. And he gave me a box of flares. So I was like, and a, a fourth guy came up, a cop came up and he's like, do you have any cones? I'm like, no, I don't have any cones. And he gave me cones. So I, I ruled the interstate for 25 minutes. And no, I do not know what the Wisconsin Highway Patrol were doing while idiot Nick was blocking traffic. But I did, after a while, everyone was going over there. I had flares set up and cones, it was cleaned out. I had, I, everything I needed, I had done. And I turned around and I was walking back to the car and no lie, they were leaning against the hood of the car. And as I walked up, the main guy turned around and dipped his big old hat and he's like, good job, son. And I was like, ah! <laughs> ah! And all my dad issues were fixed in that moment. <laughs> and I gave him back his flashlight, but I kept the vest. I just ran to my car and I drove away. I still have the vest. But as I was driving away, I realized when that situation happened, I didn't have anything that I needed. I was not qualified to run into that situation. I was just dumb enough to be willing to. But in the moment, everything I needed was just handed to me from all sides. God, I, I, you need to know this. God is not expecting you to be perfect. God is not expecting you to impress him. He's just asking you to run into traffic. Now, again, okay, so, because of the adults, figuratively run into traffic. Don't really, because you'll go and like, the guy said to run into traffic. <laughs> this world is crazy. You don't know what's ahead of you. But if you're running with him, it's only good. If you, if you, if you trust God with your life, and say, I don't know what's waiting for me, but the little light that I have, I'll run. I'll do it. I'll run into it. Then in every moment that you face, whatever you need internally and externally, God just gives you. 
And, and if you start to live that way, everyone around you says, how are you alive? How do you live this life? And so this is what I close with. To the day you die, all he wants to do is be in a relationship with you. You don't need anything else than yourself. But if you'll trust, you start today, not future you, not adult you. You start today, okay, if that's true, if you made me like I am, and if you made me and gave me this life, I'll follow you, I'll run with you wherever you go. You will never be lonely, you will never be dissatisfied, because he will be everything you've ever looked for. I can tell you that firsthand. Amen? Amen. Amen. There you go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father.